Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 104 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Well, winning a tournament is cool, but how about just running deep or winning everything you play? Today's guest has been on that kind of a heater recently, not just earning her biggest ever career score by a wide margin, but also following it up with multiple back-to-back five-figure scores, essentially doubling her career earnings to almost $800,000 in the span of just a couple months. A career of hard work and grinding is now bearing fruit like never before. And today, we're going to talk to her about it and get to know this person a little better. Angela Jordison, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to meet you. I mean, yours is a name I have seen around for years and years. I was like, oh, yeah, I get one day I'll get to speak to this lady. It's nice to meet you. (laughs) Yeah, finally. Right. So I look up. I don't think it's just me who has seen your name around for years and years and all of a sudden, you know, suddenly like the overnight success that took all these years to happen. Um, Tell us about how you first got into poker and sort of, you know, your, your turn. Like I know you're most mostly a cash game player, despite your tournament success and stuff, but sort of where did you find yourself within the poker world before this, you know, this past year, so to speak? Yeah, I have kind of a, interesting way I guess that I got into poker is I opened a big nightclub in the mid 2000s and I had a big um, space in the back that these people approached me this was during the money maker boom actually and so they asked me if they could lease a space and open a poker room and I was like okay and I had played like over the kitchen table before growing up and and things like that but never really seen organized games with strangers and so they leased this for me for um a few years and right away we started getting a lot of heat because it was the first poker room that had happened outside of a casino and so and we were like oregon, first, yeah? this is in oregon and this was like the first club and mm-hmm. so they didn't know really what to do with me. So they allowed it for a while until it started really growing. And then I started getting where they wanted. At first, they let me take breaks and do all these things. So anyway, I got in, uh, introduced to poker really on the other side of the felt, not as a player. Uh-huh. And um, so then I started had to working with the legislature and help rewrite some of the laws in Oregon to be able to allow these poker clubs. So I kind of got in on that end mm-hmm. initially and I couldn't play in my own room. It was actually against the law as sure. a licensee. So I started to get exposed and started to meet people in poker, just locals and, you know, old timers that had played forever. And I finally ended up going to play in a casino with a few of them. And I just loved it. And I, it, it has really been a passion of mine ever since. I just dove in deep, went right into like five, 10 cash games when I didn't know what I was doing. And, <laughs> um, you know, it just, I, I felt like I found myself in the game. It's social, it's fun, it's challenging. It's all the things I like. And the freedom is amazing. Yeah. When did you stop running the nightclub and turn, you know, more exclusively towards poker? So I um, had three visits from the state police and on the <laughs> third one. I never was actually concerned about like getting shut down. They would, they didn't understand it at that point either. There was none of these across the country really. And so they, they would say, okay, we can't do the, you can't take a rake anymore. You can do this. So you can't do this and that. And then they were popping up all over the state. So the regulations were getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Uh-huh. And um, so finally I ended up, on the third visit, they're like, listen, you can't, you can't do any of this. So there was no money in it for me anymore. Right. And so we shut the room down and kind of let other people take over. So, so other rooms stayed open and continued to work in that gray, gray area and then um, really hone it down to make it legal. And they're still running today. Right. So it was great. But really, the bar was so successful. It really wasn't worth my time to really focus on that poker room. Right. So, so you so weren't... You weren't exactly like a tournament director running the room. You were just sort of subletting space to them and, you know. Right? Subletting and then helping with the legal ends and the things to uh-huh. keep it open. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, and then got really involved in the, um, what would I say, in the in the legal end of it. You know, I was working with the state police and my city police and the uh, re- legislatures at, at the state capital and all those kind of things, too. Mm-hmm. There was really no laws. You know, it was just the social gaming law 
which basically is just to protect people that are playing in their garages or at the VFW hall. It really sure. isn't meant to be in a public business. Right. So we had to kind of make it like that. But anyway, I got out of that in about 2008, 2009. I sold mm-hmm. the bar and just kept small taverns after that. I sold cool. my last one in 2020, but I've pretty much played full time since 2008. Cash right. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, like you said, you know, what, you know, besides the social aspect, the freedom is great. And, you know, owning right. your own businesses beforehand is definitely that entrepreneurial streak. Um, you know, I guess sort of poker dropped in from like the moneymaker era and you sort of got into it. But did you have any sort of other career or thoughts to do something else prior to this, you know, like, like a business plan, going to college, that sort of a thing? Or it's just I was see where the wind broker. blows you, you know? <laughs> I was a stockbroker with Morgan Stanley and I ended up, Merrill Lynch recruited me. I used all that recruitment money to open my first like bar and nightclub, which I thought was going to be so fun and exciting. And it was, but it's exhausting. And um, so then I kind of expanded on that and got out of being a broker. That's kind of my trail. I was a broker, then these bars, and then um, a lot of the smaller taverns, I had good management in place. So I was able to play poker you know, four days a week or whatever in cash games and uh, still run my businesses. Sure. There was I mean, times cert- where I was working like a hundred hours a week. Right. Uh, that's certainly you know? <laughs> not the typical <laughs> type of story I hear from most of the interviewees. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. you have no problem sitting in 10, 15, 20 hour sessions, I imagine. Yeah. I don't do those anymore. I don't, <laughs> I don't like that. You know, I get in and, you know, meet my objectives and kind of get out or whatever, but. So, you know, it's, I always think it's nice, you know, not, you know, it, both approaches are nice of, okay, you just turned 18 or just turned 21, you become the poker pro, you don't know anything else. But I also think it's nice to sort of have other life experience beforehand. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm not a professional player, but like, there's a lot of things I do besides play poker recreationally. I think there's a lot that you could learn from one to the other. What would you say are, you know, the best habits or the best experiences that you had during your prior careers, owning the bars, the nightclub, as as well as working at Morgan Stanley, that you think sort of helped you become successful as a poker player and enable to continue doing that, you know, I guess 14 going on 15 years. Yeah, when you have success in, in like the stock industry and which I did with Morgan Stanley, it kind of went up really quickly. Um, it gives you a lot of confidence and that confidence kind of translates to anything. Or when you open your first business and it's successful, um, you, you just learn that you can really do anything or, you, you know, it, there's, there's nothing like stopping me. And, and I always have felt that it's riskier to work for somebody else than yourself. Hmm. Um, I, and I, I feel like the recession showed that where people who had jobs for 30 years and were getting laid off, which I thought was so secure and I always, it, it just really taught me to work for myself. And I think poker kind of aligns with that. And I, I don't, I'm not scared of risk. That's for sure. So that definitely helps. Yeah, that's a but good... I also think poker is best when you have balance. Mm-hmm. And I've had that skewed before when you're so passionate about something, it's easy to put everything else on the back burner and just really focus on what you love. But it's always better with with balance, family, friends, other activities, like you said, and poker. Okay, well, this was going to be part of my later line of questioning, but since you brought it up, uh, how do you balance your your non-poker life? Uh, what else uh, are you involved in day-to-day, week-to-week? Um, I do some real estate stuff. I My kids are adults now, so they... You know, I do a lot of things with them. I talk to them all the time. I do some painting. I hike, and I play a lot of poker. Nice. <laughs> but do you sort of have like to what degree do you? I mean, the freedom is amazing, but mm-hmm. structure is also nice. And you know, obviously, you're responsible for creating that for yourself. Beyond sort of looking, you know, ahead at the poker calendar and what tournaments you want to play, to what degree do you structure your weeks, your months? Well, I um. I lost my dad at the end of 2020, which kind of restructured my life in a lot of ways. Hmm. And so I've ended up in Iowa and I, um, I'm still in Oregon too, but anyway, I'm spending a lot of time in in Iowa. So that's kind of changed my, um, calendar really, because now when I got there, I was like, I'm going to have to travel all the time. There's no games that fit me. It's only one, two, no limit. I really don't play Hold'em in cash. Um, I play Omaha, a lot of, PLO eight and yep. a lot of PLO. So I didn't think that I would be able to make it there. And this was during the, um, 
during the pandemic sure. as well. So it was even worse. But so I found private games. So this my is structure like Council Bluffs is the big one there, right? No, no, no. no. I'm in Des Moines, so oh, okay. it's Prairie, Prairie Meadows. Okay. But um, so I found a private game. Um, then that goes two to three days a week. So the structure is set for me and I try not to miss it. So this last four or five months, I haven't been in, I've been traveling a lot for tournaments. Cool. Okay. I haven't been in my private games as much, but when I'm home, I'm like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm in a cash game. So. Nice. Well, that's pretty good. It's always good to have the next game to look forward to as well. And you know, it's going to run. Um, so, you know, we mentioned Oregon, not all of us. I have never been, I would like to go to at least the Portland someday, but, um, you know, lots of famous names, even though it's not, you know, the Las Vegas or the Southern California hotbed, uh, you've got folks like Esther Taylor, James Romero, Chris Brewer, uh, the all time money leader for the state is Seth Davies. Yeah. We've got to do a little research on the headman mob. Um, you're currently uh, top 20, uh, on that list. Um, tell us a little bit about the Oregon poker scene. Um, you know, you don't have to get too much into the legalities of it, but if someone happens to be there for a little bit, wants to play, you know, what's the likelihood of finding a game? The games are ever since that social gaming thing, you know, blossomed and they found a way around it. There's games everywhere and it's really moved outside of the casinos. That's not really where you're going to find poker games. There's clubs everywhere all over Portland, big rooms with lots of tournaments, lots of cash games. Um, and they're really everywhere. They're in the smaller towns, the college towns. Um, so finding a game is not hard at all. And, you know, all those names you listed, they've all been around the game a long time. And so, so have I now. And I kind of feel like a dinosaur in the game anymore um, because I have been around a long time. And I I watched Seth Davies come up. I remember when I was in a cash game uh in central Oregon and they, him and his brother had walked in and they were like, Oh, these kids are really good. They were really young at that point. Right. And, you know, and he was winning things online at that, at that point of his career was just getting started. And then to see him now and he's a friend of mine and um, you know, it's, it's great. Like, but I've definitely seen a lot of people come and go from this game. That's pretty, and, and you know, you've weathered all the storms and you're still going <laughs> yeah. yourself. So that's yeah. definitely a lot to be said for that. Um, you know, yeah. you mentioned all, you know, I mentioned all those names on the list. You know, do you ever, or, you know, lots of poker players, they'll just go ahead and say, you know what, at the end, I just want to win all the money, right? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. is that what it's about for you? Just win every time you sit down? Or do you kind of have like, want to cross that million dollar mark in career earnings, want to get to the top 10 in Oregon? Like, is that a thing for you? You set other sort of, for lack of a better word, they're artificial, but do you set goals like that? I never had um, because tournaments were such a small part of my poker that Mm. I never really had those kind of objectives. I love tournaments. I love the, you know, trying to be the last one standing and all the glory, all the things that come with tournaments, but they never have really been a big deal for me. So I didn't have those kind of things. Now, after this year, I'm like, oh, I want to do this and this and this. And it's pushed me out of my comfort zone Hmm. because I feel like a lot of the success for me in poker and being able to last this long and be profitable for this long has been that I've never, I'm not one that takes a lot of shots. I've always been comfortable around, um, two, five or five, five or five, 10 PLO. I've never, I've not it, prior to a couple of years ago, I hadn't taken shots in 10 and a quarter, 25, 50. I just never was, it, it wasn't important to me always turning profits and having success was more important to me than putting everything on the line or anything like that. And so I think that's contributed to my length in the game and that same thing with tournaments. Like if you look at my hand and mob, I was pretty much playing two to $500 tournaments yeah. for probably 10 years because I just enjoyed tournaments. I wasn't like trying to win the main event or anything. Like it just sure. wasn't a pri- priority for me. It, it wasn't, I was making a lot of money in cash games. It just, you know, I did this on the side for fun. Right. And then this year when I had success right out of the gates of the series, then it pushed me out of that comfort zone. And now if you look at my average buy-in, it's like 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 or whatever. Yep. And 
Now those are comfortable for me. Uh Um, And now they're telling me, Angela, you have to play 5Ks if you want to win player of the year. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to. So, um, yeah, (laughs) I kind of like to be in that comfort area. I Uh mean, obviously, the game does have some ego with it, and I want to be successful. And sure, I'd love to be the top person in Oregon, but is it something that I'm going to grind towards? No, it's not. So I I will ask about that player of the year race. Can't help but mention it at this point. Oh, it's not not a race. Um, But um, I kind kind of wonder, though, having been in the game so long and, you know, this last year, you know, for lack of a better word, it's kind of been transformative in a Mm -hmm. way. You know what I mean? Like I said, I've heard that name for a very long time. And all of a sudden you're much more on the radar, which which is very interesting. And like we're not supposed to be results oriented. But when you see results like this over a concentrated period of time, it's pretty incredible. I kind of wonder, do you have any sort of regrets that you didn't try, you know, now that you've gone out of your comfort zone and are playing higher and that's your new comfort zone, do you have any regrets of not having done it earlier, but not just a yes or no, do you feel that that'll change the way you continue playing moving forward? I, I mean, I, I definitely have thought about that. I'm like, I wonder, was I capable of this five years ago? Did I mm. not, did I, you know, did I delay this success or am I just on a heater you know, all those kind of things like crossed my mind, but not really because I didn't understand how to study. I didn't understand how to get better. I grew up on the felt where you learned playing, watching people, you know, across the table from you. Yeah. You didn't study Sims. You didn't talk about hands like that. You didn't talk about ranges or anything like that. You played exploitative poker and that's how I came up in the game. So I, to think, oh, could I have had better sex success? Probably not. If I wouldn't have studied and learned how to study, um, I probably wouldn't be where I am. I mean, it's been a huge contributing factor to my success. I mean, I, I so I don't think it was going to come earlier for me if I took shots unless I put the time in that I did over the last few years. Sure. So uh, what, what are your go-tos? What courses do you take? Who do you ascribe to? Or is it kind of like your own personal path and, and journey in that way, in the lab? I have done everything under the sun, I swear. I've done, <laughs> I've done upswing. I've done, uh, I, I don't know, every one of them. All of them. <laughs> All of them. And a lot of it, it is difficult for me. Like I have a hard time memorizing all this kind of stuff or understanding some of the concepts can be really complex. And then I found Faraz um, sure. at the start of the pandemic and I did some privates with him. And then I was there when he launched his group coaching yep. and the way that he um, teaches and explains things to me, they stick and uh-huh. he simplifies them for me. And, you know, like, I don't want to say simplifies them for me, like, you know, but whatever he has hacks and stuff that can make really complex uh, concepts easier. And I think that that has helped me a lot. And my mind was so full of all these different training sites and all these different game trees and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't know how to sort it. And he kind of taught me how to compartmentalize all of these different concepts where I could use them in game and not have to like, think so much. And sure. I definitely think I was overthinking. Excellent. Very interesting. I'll obviously got to give that shout out for us. Jaka, he was our guest on uh, episode number 48 of this podcast. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you guys, after this episode, if you haven't already, go ahead, check out episode 48. It's great when he talks about, you know, beyond his career as well, also his coaching and the way he teaches. Uh, you know, I think it's so instructive also because there are so many training sites and so many different ways to learn. At the end of the day, you just got to find what works for you. Uh, and I think right. it's very instructive the way you put it. Um, I'm wondering, though, you said, uh, you know, almost like your bread and butter still is cash games, it's PLO, and all most of the study, the overwhelming majority of the study material that's out there is the two-card game. Right. What do you prefer, uh, you know, results aside, like just as far as purity of the game? Do you like Hold'em or do you like having four cards in your hand? Now, a year ago, I would have snap said it's all about Omaha. Like, that's where that's the game. That's the it's fun. I love mixed games or we don't have the tanking. You don't have you really don't have as many egos in mixed games either. I feel like it's just, you know, the game's faster, just all that's good. But um, I mean, how can I not be in love with Holden right now? I just (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. So um I don't know. I love every variant of the game, but right now I'm spending a lot of time holding them. And that all stemmed from all of my friends 
I feel like have bracelets or crushers or all this kind of stuff. And I didn't like showing up to tournaments and underperforming really, you know, or, and, and not understanding when they were rattling off all this stuff. So I knew I had to come up to speed or I wasn't going to be playing tournaments, which could have went either way. And um, so, yeah. Huh. That's, that's very interesting. I think that there's a lot of folks who are possibly intimidated by, you know, having to get in the lab, especially if, you know, like you said, you know, you had a certain way that, you know, you did things at work, you played exploitative and Mm -hmm. all those math folks, they just go ahead and they study their charts and their GTOs and solvers. That could be a little intimidating. Mm -hmm. Hold on one second. Sorry. So like all, you know, all those charts and stuff, it could be really intimidating for some people. How did you personally overcome that, you know, and say, okay, you know what, I do need to sort of go to school in order to get better and not let that intimidation prevent you from, from making that progress. It was a, it was a process because I had to learn how to study, what to study, like, and that the study part, like I said, was difficult for me. And um, can you hear something? Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. Okay. So it, it was difficult for me, but then um, my friend Jackie, who I think everybody knows that we're, you know, Jackie joined Burkhart. Yes, Jackie Burkhart. She is phenomenal at like studying and concepts mm. and all those kind of things. She is this little wizard. And she was a big factor in kind of showing me the way, what sites we should do together and go over hands, run. We do all these different ways of studying. We'd run flops um, and then break it all down and then meet back up. And we just constantly um, kept doing it over and over and over until things got better and better. But she was a main factor of kind of walking me through how do we start? Because I then I, I have a lot of people that ask me now, uh-huh. a lot of record players that say, how, how do I study? Or it's so complicated and all these terms. And that is the hard part. Getting through that initial part of studying and knowing, you know, how to do it, uh-huh. um, then you can kind of breeze through some things. But it, it does, it, it seems overwhelming at first. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Well, so I guess it's good. You'd recommend sort of having um, a study buddy go through it with you? Yeah, I, I think that helped a lot. Yeah. A lot. Okay, cool. Sure. All right. So let's talk about this insane heater. You know, <laughs> which I'm sure you're going to enjoy doing. Um, <laughs> we're going to kind of grow chronologically a little bit. You know, you skip a little bit back and forth. Um, but your biggest score on the scra- on the on the stretch end of your career came at the start, as you mentioned, the World Series of Poker. You saw that success, and it kind of like you know motivated you to start doing things a little differently. You finished third out of 2,663 players in a 1K freeze out for over 151 thousand dollars. Tell us a little bit about that magical run, uh, your first WSOP final table, such a huge score. What did it feel like in the moment? And now, I guess, you know, you had a few months to reflect on it, and now you're used to all these big wins. But, <laughs> you know, when it all kicked off, you know, how did that sort of change things for you? I, um, you know, I, I always played the World Series, and I loved it. But, and I would like think, oh, what if I ever want to brace it one day? But I never really thought about it that much. So I didn't have a lot of pressure and, and it was only a two day tournament. Mm-hmm. So by the time I came back on day two, there's 200 people left. And then next thing you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm at the final table. Like right. it, it happened so fast that I didn't have that overnight to have family come in and get this big right. or whatever. So I just kind of went through the process and I'm not kidding. I enjoyed every moment of it. I had my friends on the rail. I was having the time of my life. I had all the chips. I mean, it was like a dream scenario. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think I could have got any more out of the whole experience. Like I'd look over at my rail and I was like, those are all the people I love. Like, this is just amazing. I just enjoyed the whole thing. Faraz showed up at the final table, which he did not have to. He coached me every single step of the way on ICM on spots he was great for the emotional side of it. And that's when I was like, he is great. Like he's, right. and he, did, he didn't just do that for me. He did that for numerous students that he had that went deep that summer or this last summer. But so it was um, everything I could have expected and more. Mm-hmm. And when I busted, I didn't have a big sense of disappointment mm-hmm. until a few days later, I was like, 
wow, <laughs> I was so close. Right. Like it never hit me. I was so caught up in the moment and enjoying the whole thing that I didn't realize like, gosh, I, I was like two people away from winning a bracelet. Like yeah. that, that's amazing. Then, um, but yeah, then I was like sad. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what if I would have played this hand wrong or, or what if I would have made this big call or, or sure. done all these things? Like maybe it could have been me, you know, or whatever, right. but I I'm proud of it. I was so excited. And, um, Oh, I hope I get there again someday. I don't know if I will. I'm sure. I'm sure if you keep doing what you're doing, eventually <laughs> you'll see the that you'll supersede that success. That's for sure. Yeah, let's um, go. I'm kind of wondering then. Um, you know, obviously everyone knows. You look at the pay charts. You know, the tables, and you know every this big pay jumps as you get closer and closer to the top of the pyramid. At what point in the tournament, like with how many players left, did you already have this feeling that you're describing, and you're kind of just sort of like re-rolling in a way life-wise as far as like positive EV because you're already there you're already experiencing yeah. this I'm doing what I love I'm making money I right. have all the tips like everything was it was amazing right um I would say it was like I think there was probably 20 to 25 players left and um I had a player dump his whole stack to me and we were both two two top five stacks. So I became the overwhelming um, chip leader at that point. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of turned for me. I was like, oh, this, and I think I was um, past my biggest score that I'd ever had. Okay. Or no, yeah. no, 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 it was at, that was at 50 K. Well, it was like one of my bigger scores, probably the second biggest score that I'd ever been. I was just happy to be there. Like, and I, uh, I just embraced it. It was, uh, it was fantastic. <laughs> so after that, you didn't just sort of, okay, let it be. And that's it. And, you know, right off into the sunset, you had a couple more smaller caches uh, during the WSOP. And then you go on a nice sun run uh, in the main event. You had a deep run, a bit under $55,000, but that's, that's a great score. That's, you know, uh, you know, everyone loves just the ability to play in the main event. It's a bucket list item for so many people. You go, you have another uh, deep run. How was that different than the event we just talked about where you hit your third place. I'm obviously didn't go as deeply, but it's the main event. So what was different to you? And maybe did you go in with a little bit more confidence than you otherwise would have because of your previous, you know, success during the summer? Okay. I'm going to tell you some things about the main event that I used to say. Okay. Um, I would tell Jackie, I hate the main event. It's so slow. It's so boring. I don't like it. I don't want to sit there and have to make, you know, I don't want to play like that. Like, oh, God, you're going to make me play the main event. That's my fifth time playing it. Uh-huh. I played it years ago. I want to see it on like Bovada or something like that. And then so this was the fourth time I actually bought into it. I did not plan on playing it coming in at all. Okay. Because I was, I had this bad attitude where I would tell Jackie, Jackie loves the main event. She's like everybody. I go, I think I'm the only person that doesn't like the main event. Now, this was prior to me running deep for the main event. Right. And I go, I just, it's so long. And oh, blah, blah. I was just like a negative Nelly on the whole thing. <laughs> and then, then I have this score and I'm like, okay, I'm going to play the main event. And, you know, once you score, have a big score like that early in the series, I knew I didn't change my schedule much at all. I wasn't going to take any shots. I knew I was leaving profitable. I was the happiest person at the series. Like I, so the main event, I went in there like excited to play it and, and happy to do it. I did not realize how different it is. Once you get deep in the pressure is crazy. And I avoided stream tables also my entire career. I didn't like them. I feel like I do weird stuff and I don't want to hear about it. Or I, the comments can be brutal. I've seen my friends go through it and I'm just like, I don't need it. I, I play cash. I don't need to be on all these stream tables and stuff. It's just not something I enjoy. Right. Day four, I can tell right away that my table is going to be the featured table because it has Ali and it has that Zhang that was so fun to watch. And yep. it has Dan Smith. And I'm like, uh, so I, every step of the way I had to get out of what I'm comfortable with. Mm. And I had to do that stream table. I love it, but I, I got through it. I did not play that well. Like I was very uncomfortable in it. And then, um, by day five, the pressure really got to me and Jackie was still in, we're in together. She busts and, um, she's going to go get a table at dinner. 
And I um, am one of the last three females left. The cameras are in my face. CBS is pulling me aside to do an interview. And I am like emotionally not doing that well. And I never have like, I'm like, I felt very nervous and um, I, I I don't know. I, I, maybe a lot of people will talk about it, but for me, it was very, day five became really hard for me. I wasn't making, also I was struggling to even connect with flops or, you know, making hands, like every hand I was in, I didn't have it. It's always like, it was just a really tough day. Yeah. And so she gets a table for dinner and I meet her and she is, cause she is busted. She is so drunk. She, she has, quit. <laughs> she started drinking like right away. So I get there. I am like almost in tears. I had just lost a huge hand before dinner and with the cameras there and everything, like I'm like kind of shook up and I'm, she can, she can't, she barely can form a sentence. She's, she's drunk. Her series is over. She's just cast the main event for 40, 50,000. I don't know what she cashed for. And then you know, so uh, anyway, I end up busting in day five. And that's the tournament I think the most about because mm. I don't feel like it was a cooler or it was these things. I feel like my emotions really got the best of me and probably skewed some of the decisions that I made, whether mm. I bolded too much or, like you know, tried to win, a had some kind of entitlement to win a certain pot or whatever. And so those that tournament, I'm anxious to do over because... I feel like I'm better uh, equipped to handle the pressure of the main event. Right. And I've heard people talk about the pressure of the main event, but I don't know. It was really, it was more than I anticipated, at least right. for me. Well, like you said, you know, like um, once you get a little bit out of that comfort zone, that becomes your new comfort zone. That experience right. surely will serve you well uh, next yeah. year. So definitely yeah. good luck. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, again, go even deeper and score even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, again, you know, like we said, that kind of all just sort of kicked things off for you, though, which is kind of nuts. And like we're talking yeah. about, the, those are like truly momentous, you know, final tables, deep run in the main event. Already that's like, okay, what a year, right? Already yeah, that's enough right. for so many people. Um, and that goes ahead and kicks off five straight five-figure caches for you through July and August. Uh, I'll just rattle off some results. Two uh, final tables at two WSOP circuit events uh, in North Carolina. Final table in the MSPT Iowa main event, winning the WPT 1100 at the bike in LA. I saw that picture. That was fun. Uh, beating 532 players for 84K. Uh, altogether, you're talking about approximately a quarter million dollars in caches to go along with what we had already spoken about before the WSOP. Within that stretch of tournaments, did any of those, I don't know, days of play or moments sort of stick out to you as particularly special or momentous for any particular reason? No, I just, I would show up and I'd be like, well, there's no way I'm going to run deep again. You know, like I keep <laughs> running deep. Like I, I don't know how this is happening. There's when I should, by the time I got to the bike at that WPT, I thought, you know, I'm here. It's like, am I just like chasing the high? Like it, what, what are the chances that I'm going to go deep again? And then I end up winning that event and I'm like bagging on one bullet on all of these things. It was just an insane, insane run. Um, but that tournament was great. I think that trying to think of all of them. The MSPTs are my favorite. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy those. Um, the fields are different than you'll find in a WPT and they're more rec friendly and they're just a lot of fun. And so whenever I can make a final table on one of those, I'm just like really happy. I love those events are well ran. And so those are always the most special, even though those probably are my biggest score. I just, I, those are my favorite. So many times I talk to professional poker players and, you know, you ask them about, you know, different mistakes that they've made along the way and what did you learn from them? I kind of feel like I have to ask the opposite question. You know, you've had all of these successes, all of these deep runs, all of these, you know, you know, up until now, career defining moments in a way. What yeah. are your biggest takeaways from those? And, you know, how do you use what you've gained, you know, to improve even further? 
Yeah. And that's what I want to do is continue to improve because I've been around the game long enough to know that I'm not going to walk around and tell you I'm the best player on the planet. And I um, outplayed everybody because this game will humble you so fast. Mm. And I don't want that flip side. Like I've told Jackie that a lot too. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm running so hot. The opposite side of variance. I don't want it to hit me. I'm terrified of it. <laughs> and so I just keep studying. Even when I win a tournament, like I'm in my room like that night or the next day. And I'm like looking at the hands that I feel like I played wrong. And even mm-hmm. some of the ones that I won. And so I don't know. I just constantly try to get better every single time because I know the game is ever evolving. And I know I have to work two times as hard to be as good as some of my competitors. And so I'm just willing to work hard. And, um, you know, I don't, I just kind of go on to the next one, study next one, study next one. (laughs) I think there's a lot that we could learn from that answer. That's a fantastic answer, (laughs) Angela. I love it. Um, So besides uh, the tax man and into the bankroll, any splurges uh, with all these winnings? No, I haven't. Um, I'm playing such a heavy schedule. I just really don't have, um, a life because now I've gotten kind of competitive on this player of the year thing. And so I want to try to win it. And so I have had no time for splurges. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> Just sitting in the bank, basically waiting so, for the tax guy. Right. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, so there's a particular quote and you did kind of allude to it as well. Uh, you know, you say everyone's telling you, you got to start playing five K's uh, you know, and you're, you said you prefer the comfort zone kind of playing. I think the, the quote was barbecue dance. Um, so I'm not even sure how to ask this question. It's more of like, why do you still think that it's important besides, you know, climbing those leaderboards to get out of that comfort zone and move up to the next level if you're perfectly happy and comfortable where you're at? Um, I, and I don't think that I would have taken the climb, but the player of the year race has pushed me to Mm. do that. And now my comfort zone has changed Mm -hmm. and now I'm very comfortable in 2,500s and, and 1100s, which used to make me very uncomfortable. And I'm firing multiple bullets if I have to, and those kind of things. So things definitely have changed for me. Um, but will you see me as a regular in five K's and 10 K's? No. Okay. I will play a few a year, but that. Only big ones, like the main. Do, to what degree do you sense a, like, this is not, you know, triple A ball. This is the major leagues type of, like, is there a, such a gigantic qualitative difference in the fields m- when you moved up from, you know, the previous level to the level you're currently at? Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, depending on the the venue and where it's at. Obviously, when you come into Vegas and you play at the win. Um, some of those higher buy-in events um, with the smaller fields are really tough. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that I want to work that hard to mm-hmm. ever to, to be at that 5K level at the win type of um, player. I just sure. don't know that it's that important to me when I really love playing 1100s and 1500s and I don't, I don't need to push it any further. I feel like, I don't know. I'm, I'm like happy. So. Right. You know, That's why, great. Why, why, why. <laughs> I, I really, I genuinely, I love that answer. That's such a, cause it's just so authentic, you know, like, yeah. well, what else are we chasing? Oh, that's great. That's really. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm having success where I'm at. I'm not getting buried. I don't really have a chance of going broke. Like all those things that I learned early on in poker have, are helping me now with the right. success. It's not. You know, I do see some of these young kids that have these like big scores right out of the gates. And then I see them firing three bullets in a 10K and I'm just like, you only, you only cash for 150,000. That's going to go like that, you yeah. know? And it's just not, I've learned the hard way. <laughs> and I'm not going to make those same mistakes. Cool. Um, so we got to talk about that uh, GPI female player of the year race. At, as of this recording, uh, I think you are a hair's breadth away. Uh, from Cherish Andrews uh, atop the leaderboard, I think what 0.11.21 points. It's it's, yeah. it's really crazy. It's unbelievable. Yeah, <clears throat> that's why I tweeted it because it was so close. She just passed me because okay. she ran deep in the sixteen hundred bounty okay. at the win, and so um, 
I, I, when I, I was like, oh, I got to see how far she passed me. And when I ran the numbers, I was like, oh my gosh, we're so close. And really it's close for the top five on that list. It's, you know, a score away and it's going to bounce all over the place. And, you know, we really don't get anything for that, but it's fun. It has made it so fun. And, and we calculate the points and I'm like, okay, if I get here or higher, I get more points. And, I, it's it's really been a fun experience to even be in the mix because I never thought that I was would ever be in that mix. I would look at the people that won that. And I'm like, oh, they're so good or they're mm-hmm. they play so big, and I just never pictured myself in the spot to be in contention for it. And I kind of want it now, so I'm willing to put in the volume where they can put in the buy-ins. I'll put in the volume because I'm not going to be firing 10ks. I will so, do the 10k WPT in the fall. Sure. That's it. Yeah. So. First of all, good luck with the rest uh, of the race this year. So I I hope you do well uh, and perform optimally and, you know, let the chips where fall where they may, but I hope you do your best uh, and and find success. Um, So does that mean, you know, come January and the schedule, like that'll now be on your mind? Like, I want to get to the top of the leaderboard quickly and stay there all year? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, December, when I'm done with this schedule, come like a week before Christmas, I am going back to cash games. Uh-huh. I will definitely play tournaments like all the Midwest uh, MSPTs and the uh-huh. series and that kind of stuff. But no, I'm not chasing any player of the year. What I want to do is I just want to get back to saying pot. I repot. Like, <laughs> give me four cards. That's that's. I'm ready to do that. You know, I've been traveling a lot and it's fun because I'm winning. Yeah. But do I want to be an on the road grinder for the rest of my poker career? Absolutely not. I, okay. I, you know, I, I want to travel when I want to do it. I don't right. want to have any pressure associated with it. And I just want to play cash. So I know one of the places you traveled to recently was Malta. I was there myself, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. Um, you know, and you said you're happy doing what you want to do. Are there any other sorts <laughs> of spots on the poker circuit around the world that you want to sort of take a few shots over the coming year or two? I would like to do um, some more international trips and, you know, cause I can write them off. And so it's like, I, sh- I should have been doing this a long time ago. So I definitely want to go to the Irish open and nice. probably the EPT, um, some, a, a few of their stops um, over the next few years, but yeah, I'm definitely going to plan trips around some poker venues. Though I've always said the last thing I want to do when I'm on vacation is play poker. Like it's just not something I want to do when I'm on vacation. Um, but I can kind of mix those like in Malta, I did that at the very end of the trip. And so I had a few weeks in Italy and in France and stuff, and then just finished it in Malta. And, and that was great. I was ready to play by the time I got there. I was excited <laughs> to play because it had been several weeks. And um, but yeah, so I, I, I do want to be able to find that mix where I can travel and have fun and then do a little poker, too. Good stuff. Okay, so we got two questions before we move on to the community questions. Uh, one is uh, sort of a, a legacy one. Like I said, you know, we've talked about this incredible, you know, again, career-defining year, but I, I almost feel bad saying that. You know, it's hard to like, it almost like discounts all of the years you've put in until now. And you've obviously, you've been there, done that, you're still around and you want to be doing this for, for, for the rest of your life, which is really, really cool. The Women in Poker Hall of Fame uh, is set to induct uh, new members this winter. Is that something that, you know, somewhere down the line you have your eye on as like a career accomplishment? Is something like that important to you? Uh, It would be important to me. Do I feel I've done enough to get there? Absolutely not. But if I continue to have some success, um, sure, of course, I would love to do that. I mean, that that, it's not something I think about because it feels so off in the distance. Um, But if I was able to, you know, have some big accomplishments and get in there, that would be amazing. Sweet. Okay, yeah. cool. Maybe we'll see you at the, at the ceremony. That's also happening uh, <laughs> yeah. mid-December. Um, I think it's in the Poker Go studios, matter of fact. It's cool. Um, okay, so uh, completely different than everything we've talked uh, about until now. Uh, part of the research we do, and I got to give a, a big shout out to uh, uh, my friend Heather, who found this one. Part of the research, we go through social media, uh, and among other things, we found something that's quite interesting. Um can you, there's a lot of things that poker players like to gamble on. Oh, you know what this is going to be already? No, I don't. That's what I'm scared about. Because I am just so unfiltered. So Okay. <laughs> um, poker players like to gamble on a lot of things besides poker, from slots to the pit to prop bets. 
Can you please explain to us what is cow pie bingo? Oh my gosh, I just experienced that for the first time this year. Um, <laughs> so they paint a grid in the middle of the street and then they put like a hundred squares and then they put a gate around it and then they put one cow in the middle. And then you buy your square and then everybody stands around and drinks and waits for the cow to go to the bathroom. And if it yeah. lands on your square, you win. You scoop it all. I'm telling you right now, that cow didn't go for like four hours. <laughs> I, I lost interest in cow by bingo so quick. Like he, it was, it was uh, not as exciting as it sounds, but I mean, these are things that happen in the Midwest, I guess. I don't uh -huh. know. I've never seen it in Oregon, but I come to the Midwest and everybody was there and really excited. And if you didn't get your ticket right away too, you sold out, but I got right. one, so. <laughs> But he, it missed. I didn't. Well, I didn't. What does the big winner one. get if you manage to? Um, Each you know, square was five dollars. So five hundred bucks or something. Five hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I thought but it it's not. It's about the win. It's the thrill of the victory. You know. There you go. And getting to yeah. drink for four hours until the cow does <laughs> exactly. its thing. Love it. Exactly. <laughs> All right, folks. In this segment of the show, we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. Uh, we do have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Uh, our first one comes from Pirate Glenn. We've got a few from Pirate Glenn. Uh, Angela, Pirate Glenn wants to know, I see you play various poker games, Raz, Omaha, and of course, No Limit Hold'em. Do you have a particular favorite type of game? And if so, why? My favorite game would be Big O or PLOA. I love split pot games. I feel that players make their biggest mistakes in big um, split pot games. And I also think it has some of the lower variants of the pot limit games. And um, it's just my favorite. It's also the game that I've played the most of. Mm. Um, where, where I was playing in Oregon, we would play three or four days a week, and it was only PLOA for probably 10 years. So when it comes to live hands of one game, that's the game I've seen the most. So that's a game I love the most. Cool. Good answer. Uh, is there anyone in the game today, Pirate Glenn wants to know, who you really look up to and can say that you've developed your game as a result of playing against them or studying how they play? I would say it's Faraz. Okay. Um, I love his dedication, his professionalism, and he's aggressive and um so focused um he i've learned so much from him i've never played against him okay i hope i never have to really <laughs> um, but uh, yeah he he is definitely someone i look up to in the game and i'm really thankful that we have came together and that i have him in my corner nice very cool uh more from pirate a lot of good questions here um and this kind of, in, in a sense, may harken back to your experience with Morgan Stanley and uh, you know running your own business before. Um, Pirate Glenn wants to know, what keeps you balanced mentally when you play long sessions uh, of cash games or tournaments in poker? Do you have any specific tips or recommendations? I don't. It's, I feel like I've been doing it so long that long sessions really aren't a, a thing for me. They're not draining on me. And if they are, I usually cash out because I'm in cash games. So when I do get those really draining times in tournaments, I turn to music a lot. Um, to, I listen to, you know, different types of music, soothing music and, and things like that. Or if I'm really tired, then I go upbeat. I try to use that. Um, but overall, long sessions aren't really, um, aren't difficult on me. Hmm. I, I've done them since the start and kind of part of the game for me. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Um, we'll do one more from Pirate Glenn. Do you play much online poker at all, Angela? And if so, where could we possibly see you in action at the online felt? So I started playing online to study so I could run, um, what is it called? Uh, poker since, tracker. Uh, yeah. Okay. And see, and that's how my first coach broke everything down and would find out how often I was squeezing or how often I wasn't three betting and those kind of things and kind of hone those skills. So I had to play a lot online there. I get online. I start winning right away. I think this is easy. 
Then the reality of online hits me and I am not a winning player online. And I also don't enjoy the lifestyle. I don't really want to sit in my house all day on a Sunday on a beautiful day. Mm. I, if I'm home, like I want to do other things and I don't want to be having my evenings consumed with it. So anymore, I don't really play online once in a while. I'll jump in a tournament, but it's very rare. Um, I kind of want my home space to be my home space and um, to, I can study and do those kind of things in poker. But when I play for real, I want it to be in an outside away from my home. Got to say that definitely resonates very strong with me too. I like that answer. It's good. Uh, I'm sure with lots of folks uh, listening and watching the, the show as well. Um, Acid Burn FX, one of our great uh, creative question askers, uh, asks the following, Angela, who would play you in a movie of your life and why? Everybody tells me I look like America Ferreira. <laughs> I, I, can see, I can see a resemblance. And in high school, I looked just like Ugly Betty. So, you know, probably her. I don't know. I think I have a familiar face because there's a lot of people that tell me I look like somebody, their sister, their aunt or whatever. But I get America Ferreira the most. Okay. <laughs> um, this is an interestingly worded question. When was the last time that you did something for the first time? When's the last time I did something for the first time? Gosh, that's a hard question, isn't it? We'll give you a time bank on that one. Uh, gosh. Oh, I had the clock called on me for the first time ever. Really? Yes. You don't seem like someone who would tank excessively. I'm not a tanker at all. I have decisions. I can make decisions pretty quickly. That was the last time I did something for the first time, I guess. But that's poker related. Uh-huh. I don't know. I can't think of anything. Well, that is fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shame on them. Unless you were really just taking a long time. <laughs> yeah. I kind of was. <laughs> fair enough. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you found a genie in a lamp, what would you wish for and why? I would wish my initial thing was to say, I want to win the main event like everybody. Right. But I think I wish for more longevity in the game and more profitability and just being able to turn profits year over year. I think length in the game says a lot. And that would be my wish over probably um, anything is just to continued success and happiness in the game. I feel like if I was the genie and you wished for that, I'd grant you a second wish because that's so like such a humble request. That's so beautiful. (laughs) I love that. That's a great answer. Um, If uh, was it next one acid burn FX. Uh, If you, if you could read minds, how would you use that ability? These questions are hard. Who comes up with these? Hi. <laughs> we got to uh, thank Acid Burn FX and the community. Geez, acid is on acid. Um, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do maybe one one more from Acid Burn How FX would I use um, that? Why can't I answer these questions? These are so hard. Are these hard questions? They're... They're not ones that I thought of myself. I'll put, you, I'll put that out there for you. I don't even want to know what people are thinking of the poker table. I don't even want to be able to read their mind, to be honest. Okay, that's fair. Um, you know, we could skip to the know. next one if that's all right. Yeah, let's skip. Tell okay. Acid I don't like it. I'm just kidding. So we'll do one last one from Acid Burn FX. What is the most courageous thing you've ever done? I think courageous is pushing myself this year because I could mm. have just re. Um, could have lived off the laurels of the series and just, you know, went about my thing, but to push myself to actually compete at a higher level. Um, like I've told you how uncomfortable that has made me. Um, I'm proud of that because I've been in the game for 15 years yeah. and I've never done it. And I really made myself do it. And with the encouragement of my friends and my family and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm proud of that. And I'm proud that I'm um, having some success. As you ought to be. That's great. Love it. Um, Chica Bonita wants to know, do you do any sort of charity work or have any involvement with charity at all? I used to run a lot of charity poker tournaments, both at my bar and then outside for all the local high schools and all those kind of things. 
Um, recently, other than just like my normal donations that I do for charity, I have not um, done any. I am doing some, donating some time to some auctions and things like that coming up. But other than that, I haven't been as charitable as I used to be. I've just been so, so busy. And I was All actually winning takes about, time. Yeah. I've been thinking about that more and more and how I want to do that. Um, hmm. There's some stuff I do in Nicaragua um, every single year, um, but I kind of want to take that to the next level with some of the turtle projects and stuff like that. So in the future, I've got some things on my radar. But. That's very cool. That's great. Yeah. I wish you success with that too. Um, I like this one. Chica Benita, last, next one from them. Do you dedicate your victories to someone or do you do it just for yourself? So I used to play poker with my dad and mm. we would go different places and we would go to um, the series. He would meet me there for a week or he, you know, he was like my biggest cheerleader and he passed passive cancer at the end of 2020. And when we were talking, I was like, I'm going to win something big for mm. you. And, Oh, I get off. Okay. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm crying on a stupid podcast, but it's a great so, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So when that's I ran beautiful. deep in the series, I think that's why I loved it so much because I knew how proud he would have been. So <laughs> this is, anyway. So he, when I won these three tournaments in a row in 2015, which made some news and I got these winner's hats. And when you made a final table there, you always got your hat. And so I would give my hats to him and he would play down talking stick in Arizona uh -huh. and he would wear those hats and um, tell everybody that it was like silent bragging uh -huh. because they would say, Oh, you made a final table. Cause they said final table Pendleton, Oregon. And so he would wear those so that people would ask him and then he would be able to brag about me. And oh. he really didn't have much to brag about then because I hadn't <laughs> done much. Other we, than had, we won three tournaments in three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that three tournament thing. And so he was just always like really proud of me. And like my number, he would constantly text me, give me updates. And, and you know, he, he was just really proud of it. And I miss going to all those tournaments with him for sure. And I'm a crybaby on a podcast. <laughs> Well, I, I think that's beautiful that you're in touch with him. And I think that's just great. I'm sure he's smiling down with a lot of pride right now. Yeah. Uh, we'll do a couple more and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, I know you've got a tournament to go to uh, over there in Las Vegas. So um, Crystals uh, first says, uh, oh, the one from Crystals, what is it? Oh, okay. What do you think is going to be the most difficult aspect of keeping up this momentum going into 2023? I think keeping up cashing at this pace is unsustainable. And mm -hmm. I know the math behind tournaments. Um, so I just want to show up and uh, do my best and try to make good decisions and the cards will fall where they do. I understand how variance works. I understand I'm running way above EV. And so, you know, um, if it continues through 2023, great. If, if we're, if I'm still winning like this in a couple of years and maybe I won't call it variance, but at this point right now, I'm just like, I'm enjoying the ride. I'm trying to make the best decisions possible. And if it goes into 2023, great. And, you know, if not, um, hopefully, I, you know, I made the right choices. For sure. And it actually dovetails perfectly. You couldn't have known this uh, to our final <laughs> question uh, from Gutshot Gus. And I'll, I'll just read exactly what the question says because it echoes your words just now. Uh, you have been quoted as saying, I've been around the game for a long time, so I don't have unrealistic expectations of this. I know it's not sustainable and that I'm running well above EB, but I'm just enjoying it. It yeah, sounds okay. like you have made the transition from I don't know that I don't know to I know that I know. Can you describe when you realized that? Was it something that happened over a period of time and you didn't realize what was going on? Or did the light bulb kind of come on with a click and you had this sort of euphoric moment? I think that I realized early on in cash games, I had a really bad year one year um, mm. and it humbled me a lot because before then I was dumping chips into pots. Like it was so, that was so aggressive. So, 
in big games, just playing crazy and just never thought it would end. And when it turned, I had to eat that humble pie and mm. I didn't like the way that tasted at all. So I knew I had to stay level-headed in the game. And, um, and that's how I kind of feel about this. Like I, I am proud of what I've done and, um, but I don't feel like it defines me and mm. I've had enough success in the game um, for my place in the game, I guess. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm, I am humble with it. Um, but I do hope it continues for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I said, uh, that, uh, in the course of this podcast, we get to know you a little better. I certainly feel like I do. Uh, and I'm sure <laughs> like a lot of folks uh, feel the same way. This has been an absolutely lovely and wonderful conversation. Again, just, uh, a friendly reminder to our friends out there in the Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Uh, guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Angela, before we let you go, is there anything else, anything else you'd like to tell the audience? No, nothing. I think okay. we've covered a lot. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. And maybe we'll do this again uh, after we do to get uh, that first uh, WSOP bracelet or maybe Ooh. a final table at the main event. That would be something special. But uh, really, oh thank God, you so much so for your funny. time. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you all uh, for tuning in once again to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.